Mission View family, this is what it's about. It's about changed lives. And I gave the challenge last week that, that you would be a person that would be able to invest into somebody else and that you would be able to baptize that individual, not for status, not for anything other than just being obedient to the commitment of the advancement of the gospel. That's what we are here for. We have simple marching order, orders. Make disciples. That's what we're to do. I don't know if uh, your wife has ever finished any of your sentences or your spouse has finished your, completed your sentences. I don't know if that frustrates you. I want you to watch this, and I want you to see if you relate with this at all. I've come up with a series of exercises to help with your compulsive need for closure. What? I take issue with the word compulsive. <laughs> all I'm saying is we live in a world where closure isn't always an option. Shun, okay. <laughs> for the sake of argument, let's say I have a problem. What would be your plan for addressing it? I'm going to recondition your brain so that the need for completion isn't so overwhelming. <laughs> By playing tic-tac-toe? Yep, your turn. Oh, Amy. <laughs> and you wonder why people think neuroscience is nothing but a goofy game for diaper babies. <laughs> Tic-tac-toe can only end in win, lose, or draw, none of which will deny me closure, especially since I'm about to win. <laughs> well, we didn't finish. Exactly. How does that make you feel? Same way any normal person would. Like I want to peel off my own face and tear it in two and then again and again till I have a handful of Sheldon face confetti. And that's exactly the feeling we want to address with this course of treatment. Yeah. For the land of the free and the home of the next. <laughs> That's enough. Okay, Sheldon, make a wish and blow out the candles. <sighs> Oops, missed one. Now your wish can't come true. Lucky for you, because I wished you were dead. I must say, I was skeptical at first, but this has truly been a transformative evening. I'm a little surprised to hear you feeling so positive. Well, you're an excellent neuroscientist, you're a wonderful girlfriend, and... <laughs> and? Doesn't matter, does it? I'm proud of you, Sheldon. And a complete sucker. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> and the home of the brave. That's not your reality, I don't know. 
But it, you'll notice out of this clip, it really points to a truth in life that we need completion in our life. If you were to go to a symphony, you, you would wait until the final note was finally played before you applause. You know that pause sometimes before the, the dramatic pause before the final note is played? You wouldn't stand up just before the final note and start applauding. You would wait until the, the note is played triumphantly, and then you would stand to your feet. You would applause because there, we're, we're made for completion. Today, we're going to talk about the completion of all things. We're going to talk about the ultimate completion that you and I are going to face because if this life were just it, then, then it would be a very sad place. We're going to talk about the final note of God. We're going to talk about the time that we will realize God's grace in an abundant way and in a very real way in that we will see Christ face to face. Do you look forward to the day that we will see Christ face to face? And let me tell you that when we do finally see Christ face to face, we're not going to stand and applaud. We're not going to say, yeah, that was great, excellent, Jesus. No, what we're going to do according to the book of Revelation is that we are going to fall down upon our knees. We are going to cast our crowns before him and we're going to say these words. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We will say those words. You know, I think we should practice because someday we're going to be there in heaven. We don't want to mess this up. So say this phrase with me. Read it along with me. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. In the final book of the Bible, Revelation, we're told how Jesus is that completion. He is our realized grace. This is what we're told in Revelations 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Here is where we learn how Jesus is the ultimate completion of all things. As we started God's story, we started really with how Jesus was at the beginning of all things. He really was the Alpha. He was the beginning. Because God said, let us make man in our image. God made the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made all of creation. We know that he is the one who walks. He is the God in the flesh who walked probably with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And we know that he was prophesied about when Adam and Eve fell. And God said of, in terms of the curse on the snake that there would be a seed from the woman that would somehow defeat, someday defeat the enemy. He would crush his head. See, Jesus was at the beginning. And yes, he died on a cross making uh, giving us power over the victory of death and, and the defeat of the enemy, but he will ultimately defeat the enemy at the very end. And we're going to see that today. Jesus is the completion. He is our realized grace, and we will see that. 
Now, as we went through the Old Testament, one of the things that we saw was one prophecy after another about a Messiah that would come. There was a pro- those prophecies that were given, think about it, every single one of them were completely 100% fulfilled. There wasn't a single prophecy about the Messiah that wasn't completely fulfilled. Keep that in mind as we look forward because we're going to move from Old Testament prophecy. We see the fulfillment of Christ on the cross. We see the, we've seen the commission of what we are to do to carry out his command to make disciples. And now we're passing our own personal history and we're looking into the future. We're seeing how everything is going to end. I want you to keep a couple things in mind as we are doing that. Number one, I want you to know this. Everything that God has predicted will come true. It will. It will come down to, even the minute detail will come true. God has a perfect track record. Here's the second thing I want you to realize. Not everything about the prophetic details that we're going to look at today are as clear as they will be someday. See, the idea of prophecy it's always going to be clear when it's fulfilled. When we're looking back, remember the, 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 the statement, hindsight is twenty twenty. When you're looking back at something, of course, it's been fulfilled. We can look back and we can see how God completes it. But when we're looking forward, it's a little fuzzy. Uh, you know, it's something that we have to kind of piece together. It will be clear to us someday when we're with Jesus face to face. I would imagine some of the disciples after the death, burial, and resurrection They're sitting around reading Isaiah 53, and they're like, "Ah, that's what that meant. Now I understand it completely because I have seen Jesus face to face. Now, here's the third thing. I want you to keep this in mind because this gives us hope. As the end of the age draws near, the grace of God will carry us to experience the glory of God. The grace of God will carry us through this life to the point where we will experience the full glory of God. It seems that there is a theme in the Old Testament or in the New Testament where God is saying, live in the grace that you have, but look forward to the hope of a glory that you will experience. Romans 5.2 says this, through him, talking about Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is how we operate in life. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory. It's something that we haven't fully experienced. And we're talking about an experiential hope that we cannot understand this side of heaven. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. There is an eternal glory that we're looking forward to. We stand in his grace now, but someday we will swim in his grace as we are in his eternal glory. Now, why should that mean something to you and I? It should mean something because when we're there, there will be no more suffering. There will be be no dying of cancer. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
when you're there, you won't remember the suffering here. Mitch's father, he's not looking at the cancer that he has suffered. He is with Christ. He is there face to face, and we take hope in that. Now, as we go into future things, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. A lot of our passages are from the book of Revelation. And here's what I want you to know about the book of Revelation. The first five books start at, on earth in evaluation of the church, and then all of a sudden you're in the throne room of God in heaven. What an awesome thing. I don't have time to expound that. Just read it. It's incredible. Then the middle part of Revelation is uh, dealing with some death and destruction. It's dealing with judgments. We'll talk about that. And the very end, we see Jesus Christ coming back with, I believe, his church. And he is victorious. And he leads us into an eternal state, which is going to be an awesome, awesome thing for each and every one of us to experience. As we go through these different passages and understand future things, here's the thing I want to, a caution I want to give you. I don't want to be so focused on the timetable as much as I am focused on the fact that Jesus is coming back. That's the important thing. I'm going to give you my suggestion of how I think things are going to go, but again, I'm not seeing it perfectly. When I see him face to face, I'm going to be like, now that's how it was supposed to be. We're going to have one of those moments, I, I'm, I guarantee you. But I want us to focus on, in on Christ. Let's pray as we go into some of these prophecies. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to see the purpose of what you're teaching us. And help us to understand your heart. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. The first event... <clears throat> Is comes out of 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 14, where it talks about us being caught up with Christ. When I say us, I believe, I believe we're talking the church, because he's addressing the church. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. I believe the passage is on the screen. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall, be all, shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Notice some of the themes. Trumpet, changed, resurrected. We go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15, it says this. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. There's a theme developing. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Now notice what happens here. I don't believe this is the return of Christ. We'll talk about that in a little bit. This is the time where Christ, because he's not going to touch down on earth. Return of Christ, Christ's feet are going to hit the ground. Here it says that he is going to meet the believers in the air. Now it starts off with a trumpet sound. Now in the Old Testament, 
a trumpet sound was given to in the, the, when the people were out in the wilderness with Moses in order to gather the people together in order for them to worship God, to hear from God. Now in the New Testament, as Paul is addressing the church, he is saying there's going to be a trumpet sound. It will be a gathering of the church, and we will hear from God, and we will all meet God up in the air. Now let me tell you, this will be the very first all worldwide church service that we will participate in where we recognize the awesomeness of God. We won't, it'll happen so quick and it'll happen quickly and we will be caught up. Now it says in the passage that this sound will allow the dead in Christ to rise first. See, Paul was answering a question that the Thessalonians were asking about what happens to us when we die. He is saying that there's going to be a resurrection. And then he says, for those that are still living, they will be caught up with him in the clouds. Now, the cloud was probably, is probably referring to a cloud of glory, not necessarily a rain cloud. Now, in Ohio, it probably would be a mixture of both, <laughs> a rain cloud and a cloud of glory. Now, the phrase caught up means to grab or to seize suddenly, to snatch up, to take away. Many believers have come to know this as the rapture. Now, let me point out that the Apostle Paul calls this in 1 Corinthians 15 a mystery. A mystery was something that wasn't known in the Old Testament, but now is being made known. It wasn't prophesied. Nothing in the, in the Old Testament prophesies about the rapture of the church. But he's talking about it here. Now, there was also one other thing that was called a mystery. Do you remember what it was? The church. Ephesians chapter 3. We have a song that we wrote about the mystery. We are, the, we are that mystery. And so what's happening in this mysterious moment is that God is collecting the church, and he is taking them with him, and he is clearing the stage for God to do a work for his people, he will turn his attention to the na nation of Israel. And so the very next thing on our, in, in the events is the time of tribulation. After this, there will be a time of tribulation, and Revelation 6 through 18 talks about this. You'll need to read this on your own if you want to study this and be a student of God's word. We're doing an overview now. You can deep, dig in a little bit deeper. But in the judgments, there's going to be three judgments that are going to be given. There will be a seal judgment, a trumpet judgment, and a bowl judgment. And what will happen is on increasing intensity, like the, the heat of a fire being turned up, there will be the wrath of God that will be poured out, and God will have a purpose for that. We'll talk about that purpose in a minute. Now, for all of you that at one time in your life thought, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God deal with the injustice? Why doesn't God save all the lives of the unborn? Why, does, why are people persecuted? Why are the evil things happening over in the Middle East? Why is this happening? Please understand that God doesn't act quickly because of this. Hebrews 10.31 says this. It's a dreadful thing. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I don't think things have happened quicker because God is a patient God. Second Peter says that he wishes that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. 
you need to know that during this time that there is going to be an unmatched, unprecedented time of suffering where people will perish. They will perish. God doesn't want that to happen, but it will happen at this time. He's patient now. Now, the purpose of this time is really to get Israel's attention. We're, now, even though the rapture wasn't mentioned and the, the church isn't mention, mentioned in the Old Testament, the time of tribulation is mentioned. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. You can look at it in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. The, in the book of Daniel, Daniel spoke of it as well. He spoke of the 70th week where there will be a time of tribulation. The 70th week was a, a symbolic measure saying, showing seven, seven years that would take place. There would be a seven-year place where God would pour out his wrath upon the earth, and the, the goal of it would be to shatter the power of the holy people. That's Daniel chapter 12. You say, why, why would God do that? His holy people Israel, why would he shatter the power? See, in other words, what God is going to do is he's going to use the tribulation time to destroy Israel's addiction to itself and to prepare them for the coming of the king. Now, God's going to have to bring them to a very low point for them to finally call out to Christ Jesus. That's why the tribulation is going to take place. And what we know is by the midpoint of tribulation towards the end, Israel will have no friends. There will be no other nations that will have alliance with them. We even see in our world today where the only friend to Israel is America and how we see our government pulling away from the nation of Israel. It's a scary thing. It's a very scary thing to know that we are now making greater alliances. Even today, there's supposed to be some kind of pact with Iran. Now, Iran has one motto, death to Israel, death to America. It makes no sense. It's kind of interesting. We're going to watch and see what happens. But there's current events that even play in to what's going to happen. Now, there is a silver lining in all of this. During this tribulation time, there will actually be an unprecedented time of people coming to faith in Christ. There will be people that will want to know what is true and what is the hope and, and how can I get uh, understand that hope. And God will release 144,000 Jewish individuals that will be super evangelists who will go out into all the nations and, and people will come to faith in Christ from every nation, tribe, people, and language. We're told this in Revelation 14, that these messengers will go out with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those throughout the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Why does God do that? Well, remember his promise that we talked about last week? How God said, God said, I'm not going to come back until every nation has heard. God has his way for that to happen. God's grace will be extended even in the midst of this judgment. And yet there will be many people that will reject that grace. We're told that in Revelation 16. Well, at the end of this tribulation time, it will build to a place where there will be a final battle at Armageddon or Megiddo, the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. 
Now, what happens during this seven-year time is that the Antichrist, there will be an individual that will rise to power. The scriptures call him the Antichrist. You can read more about him in 2 Thessalonians. Paul addresses the idea of an Antichrist. But what we know is that he will rally support of a confederation of 10 nations, and they will make war against Israel and the God that they represent. Now understand, by the end of that tribulation time, many Jewish people will call out to Yeshua, and they will bow their knees, and they will come into the fold of Christ. And this is what we're told in Revelation 17. We are told that this confederation of ten nations will have one purpose, to give their power and authority to the beast, in other words, the Antichrist. They will make war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with him will be his called and chosen and faithful followers. This confederation against God and his people will build up to a final battle at this valley of Megiddo, the, valley of, or the battle of Armageddon that will take place. And this will prepare the way for the return of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Revelations 19. I want you to see this. Revelations 19 is going to describe what this return is all about. I'm not really going to say a whole lot about this. I just want you to listen. And after we listen, we're actually going to sing about the return of Christ. Take a look at what's going to happen when Jesus comes physically to the earth, his feet touch down. It says this, chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This is Jesus, and the flame of fire represents judgment. And on his heads are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of the heaven. I believe that's the church that's going to come back with him. Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. We're following him on, a white, on, on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. From his mouth, a sword, the word of God. He will speak the word of God to destroy the nations. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called out to the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the, the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. 
And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Sing out with a loud sound to the same God who brought Jericho down. God is a warrior, I am is his name, the lion head of Judah is the firstborn of the grave, it is finished, it is done, the battle has been
better than any movie that you've ever watched where the person is at the brink of defeat and all of a sudden the mighty warrior comes in and saves the day. That's pretend. This is real. The God who has seen injustices throughout the centuries, he will act, but right now he is patient. I believe that when he comes back and after this battle, there will be some that will live. And Matthew 25 says there will be a separation of a sheep and the goats at that point, and the goats will go. Those that are against God will go away, away from God, and they will go into punishment, and the sheep will go into a, a 10,000 or a thousand year reign with Christ. We're told in the next portion of the scripture that there will be this thousand year reign. Take a look in verse chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And they seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. I wish we had time to unfold this. I really do. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those who the authority to judge was committed. I believe Jesus is on the throne. He told his disciples, in the kingdom you will sit on the thrones with me. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hands. These are people that were martyred during the tribulation. God will bring them back to life. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign for, with him for a thousand years. Now, I want you to know that this thousand years, uh, theologians have cl classified this as the millennium or the millennial reign of Christ. They label it that because millennial is the equivalent to a thousand years. But let me tell you more importantly that the Old Testament points to this time. Very clearly, the Old Testament teaches that there will be a reign of Christ in this time called the millennium. We're told in Isaiah chapter 9 that the Messiah must sit on the throne of David. It will happen at this time. We're told in many places in Isaiah and throughout the, the prophets that there will be a kingdom that would come. Now, I know the disciples were looking forward to that. Remember, just before Jesus ascends, they say, okay, is now the time? Is now the time you're going to bring your kingdom? They all fully expected this kingdom, a literal kingdom. It wasn't a figurative kingdom. It wasn't kind of a kingdom just in their heart. It was an actual kingdom that they fully expected would happen. Jesus says, no, 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 not yet. Be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. It's coming. It's coming, but that time's not up for you to know. Now's the time that it comes. We're told in Isaiah 60 about the, the, the restoration of Israel. It says, I will make you an everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This is the time where the lion will lay down with the lamb. It will be an unbelievable time. 
We're also told in the Old Testament there will be a time of blessing for the Gentiles. Yes, Gentiles that survive the tribulation time that come to faith in Christ will be there as well. I believe the church who comes down with Christ, I believe we will be there present. Now, some people don't believe this to be a thousand-year reign. I believe if you believe in the literal interpretation of the scriptures, you have to understand that this is true. This is a literal time. I also believe that God gave a promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make out of you a great nation, and this is when the nation would be fully realized. And through it, you will have a Savior, and you will impact the world this way. Soon after this thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be a great white throne judgment. This is where God will do away with evil once and for all. We look at chapter 20, verse 10. It says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. They were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. There was no hiding from God. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then after, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades... Another translation for Hades is hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, please know that this is a judgment for unbelief. This isn't a judgment for those that are Christ followers. We're going to have a different judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us about that. But this is going to be a judgment for those that hear about the gospel but reject that gospel. We're told in 2 Thessalonians 1.8, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Notice what will happen. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. Here we see the end of Satan we see the end of those that reject God in this life. What a sobering moment this will be. I'm so glad that God's story doesn't just end there. God's story, then what God does is he wipes the slate clean. He takes the earth that is defiled and he cleanses it with fire and the scripture says in Revelations 21 and 22 that he makes a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And this is what he states. He says, it's done. It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything that God set in motion when he created the heavens and earth will now be completely and fully realized. I want you to notice that glory and grace are still there at the very end. Turn to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 20 and take a look at this passage. Take a look at verse 22. I'm sorry, look at 21, 22. 
And I saw no temple in the city. This is our future dwelling, by the way. For it's the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty of the Lamb. And the city had no need for sun or moon or shine, to shine on it. For what? The glory, say it with me, the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Its light will be, will, it, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut day by day and there will be no more night. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in Lamb's book of life. It'll all be about the glory. But we will swim in the grace of God. Take a look at chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month. We haven't seen this since the Garden of Eden. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and servants will worship Him. They will see his face, face to face, grace fully realized, and his name will be on their forehead, and, not, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's always been about the glory, and it's always been the great, by the grace of God. My friends, we've made a journey. We've seen that this is a linear journey, that God's actually going somewhere. He's doing something. We've seen the failures of man, and we have seen the faithfulness of God. We've seen the miraculous of God bringing a Redeemer who conquered death and was resurrected. We saw the event of our commission, of our commission to share the good news, and now we've looked forward into the future when we will see Christ face to face. And you ask, so what now? What do we do with this information? Second Peter tells us, since everything will be destroyed, since we'll go through these kind of tribulations and the earth will be cleansed, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Here's the application. If you don't know Christ, come to him. Repent of your sin. Give your life over to him because he is a holy God and he is a God who demands perfection and you don't have that perfection. He did it for you on the cross, died to give you victory. He shed his blood so that you can have a living, vibrant relationship with him. He was the fulfillment of all the prophecies. If you say, I don't know if I can believe it, look at all the prophecies. Evidence, 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 empirical evidence. Factual things that were fulfilled hundreds and thousands of years later. What evidence do you need? He is real. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And I appeal to you, if you don't know him, give your life fully to him because we want to if you want to be with them for eternity then you better start right now 
And if you are a Christ follower, what are you to do? You are to live a holy and godly life. No more middle of the road. No more will we live in both worlds. We are to be a holy people. We are to be a set-apart people. And we are to be called out, ecclesia, the church. That's what we're to be. We're to be a godly people. How do we become like God? We carry what attributes we can. God is a loving God. You be loving. God is a God full of grace. Extend his grace to those through the gospel around you. God is a faithful God. You show your faith and trust in him. Be godly. Be holy. But my friends, we can only do it. We can only do it with his strength. And as we sing this last song, I want to encourage you, if you need him, would you sing it like you mean it? And I'm going to tell you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, just during this last song, say, God, I may not understand everything, but I yield to you. And I ask that you would come talk to me afterwards or talk to Pastor Brian or talk to one of the leaders in the church because we want to help you in this journey.